0: This is also a season of new beginnings in the life of the church. There is this feeling that maybe at long last, some of the shackles are starting to come off, or at very least, we're going to attempt to get back to a new kind of normal. And at the beginning of every season, we like to enter the season by calling ourselves back to the first principles of who we are as a church. Why is it that we exist? What is it that we stand for? what is the high purpose to which we have been called? It's kind of a, it's a vision casting Sunday. And we planned a series back in January, the very beginning of the new year, and we called it Start Again. And we had great hopes that this was going to be it. And then, of course, January didn't work out to be what we thought it would be. And during the Christmas season, things began to take a turn. And we went ahead with the series, but in fact, there was nobody here. And uh, and we uh we really had that feeling that we weren't, starting again the way we thought. So this message is called Start Again, Again. And uh, I want to start with a graphic that uh, you may have seen, and if you've not, it's just a helpful way of reminding ourselves of the three dimensions or the three poles, the three axes of who we are as God's people, as a church. There is always an up axis to who we are as the family of God. Up is about faith. Up is about that connection that we aspire both to achieve and maintain and deepen. With the great sovereign, with God Himself, out is about love, and we've been speaking about this for the past six weeks during the summer months as we reflected on those great words from First Corinthians thirteen. You remember the ones, if you if you know no other words from the Bible, you probably know these ones because you've been hanging out at weddings and you've heard. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a noisy or a clanging gong. But love is patient and kind, and on goes the list. So out. Uh, uh, in is all about love. There's an outward dimension to the gospel. The outward dimension is about hope. If inward is about love, outward is about hope because there's something that we are custodians of that is not meant to be bottlenecked in the life of the church. It's meant to be shared. And we've known that for the past three years, that this is a world that has been crippled by isolation, that that need what comes inward, and it has been paralyzed by fear, and they need hope. They need all three of these things, In out and up. And in fact, it seems that most people in the world live this way. This isn't something that the, the church has exclusive ownership to. Uh, there are people who, who aspire to all three of these things. They have a set of core values, convictions by which they live their lives people that they aspire to be. There is an up dimension. They have an outward dimension. They, they're involved in causes. They're committed to things. They're capable of, capable of generosity and charity. They're philanthropists. They, they give. They give time. They give money. They give blood. I mean, for heaven's sake, they give their very own blood. Uh, so there is an out dimension to life. And then they have relationships that are dear to them, that are important. People outside the church have great friendships, I know it's hard to believe, but of course, it's, it's true. They have, they have relationships that are significant, and that's one of the things we have lamented so much over the past two and a half years is the way those relationships have been hobbled or stalled or paralyzed. So it's always worth asking as a church if people already have these things, What difference does Jesus really make in all of this? What is it that Jesus brings to our life that makes what's already there pale in comparison? And I would contend that one of the places where we experience it most and best, one of the places where it has been most absent over the past few years, is in the area of community. So we're going to sort of drill down on the in-dimension of the Triangle. We're not going to disregard the other ones, but that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. They'll know we are Christians by our love. That is about building something holistic in the relationships that we share. Jesus heals a man who's lowered down through the thatch roof of a hut, and he says, you know what, it's not your faith, it's the faith of your friends, those who gathered around you and, and never let go of you, never gave up on you. By their faith, I'm healing you. Jesus' greatest commandment is rooted in the life of community. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know that one, and they did know that one. But then he went on to say, and here's the sign that you really get that one. Love your neighbors as yourselves. That's, that's an in. That's a, that's a community command. Our cultural psyche, our very makeup is geared towards community. We know this is, is absolutely true, and research says that, that as people, we require eight to ten meaningful touches each day to survive and to thrive. And if you wonder why it's felt like we're barely surviving during these long months of pandemics, it's because we've been robbed of those things. Eight to ten meaningful touches a day. There's a scientific journal called the Journal of Happiness Studies. And I have no, I've quoted from it before. I'm just amazed that such a thing exists. But it does. The Journal of Happiness Studies. And they investigate what they call subjective well-being, which is science's wordy way of saying happiness. They investigate happiness. And they have found through study after study that there is one factor that distinguishes self-described happy people from those who are less happy. Grouchy people, bitter people, and it's not income, and it's not security, and it's not attractiveness, it's not IQ or career success, it's not even physical health. What distinguishes self-described happy people consistently from those who are not so is the presence of deep, abiding, significant relationships. They've got that inward dimension figured out. They've got it locked down. Robert Putnam, a professor at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University, he wrote a book about what really has happened in the community life of the world, in the decline of community. He called it Bowling Alone. Kind of a great title, right? Bowling Alone. And this is what he he talks about, that connection between contentment and community. He says, the single most common finding from a half century of research On the correlation of life satisfaction, happiness, not only in the United States but around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and the depth of one's relationships. There is power to community. And there is power to the communal life of the church. Jesus gets to the very core of this in his, his central vision-casting message. How can we say it's Vision Sunday and not read Jesus' central vision-casting message? And the good news here, the vision-casting message in Matthew 28 that Oz read for us, is not about being right, primarily. It's not about religious superiority. It's not even about winning converts. It's about doing life together and doing it well. I want you to listen to it again, but listen to that nuance. And we're going to spend some time and drill down a little bit into the passage. It starts, sometimes we read just verses 18 to 20, but it actually starts. The setup is here in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. If you have your Bibles, underline 11. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountaintop where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Underline that. But some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, and here it is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, and as you go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the promise. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's a vision. This is a vision casting message. And and this is, is Jesus' grand attempt to get at the core understanding of who the church is, to get it right. And this passage has led to all kinds of good in the world. But let's be honest. it's It's been led... It's led to some pretty bad things, too. And it's why we have to, I mean, like lots of passages in Scripture, but particularly this one, we have to get it right. It's a big statement. It's a grand vision. It's addressed to a community of people, not one person. This is a particular feature of the West and the modern West that we read a lot of, a lot of Scriptures if it's addressed only to us as individuals. This is to the whole community of God's people. And he rallies them around this big vision of what he wants them to be about. A few years back in the life of our church, we introduced a series of statements that kind of describe the core values of who we are, who we want to be. You've heard them once already this morning. Pastor Sheldon used them in his opening remarks. Many Many of you will know them. And if you do, I'm going to invite you to say them with me. What you may not know is that these three statements are rooted in, flow from, the Great Commission. And we're going to explore how that's the case. But but here they are. The first one, nobody is perfect. Look at the person beside you and say that to them. Nobody is perfect. It's true about them, right? Not true about you, of course, but it's true about them. Nobody is perfect. (laughs) Here's the second one everybody is welcome. Say that. And the third one, anything is possible. Nobody is perfect. Everybody is welcome. Anything is possible. I want to take those three statements and take a bit of a twist with them and tease out their implications as we look through Jesus' vision in the Great Commission. So the first one, nobody is perfect. That's kind of a bold way to begin. But that's exactly how the story of the Great Commission begins. Listen again to the preamble. Then the eleven, there's that word, disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Huh? That's kind of a strange way to begin the story of the big vision of the church. Go into all the world, you 11 doubters and worshipers together. You 11. I mean, some of you will know that the Bible places a lot of significance in numbers. There were numbers that were important because of what they communicated. One of those numbers was 12. 12 tribes, right? 12, uh, 12 disciples. 12 days of Christmas. No, that's. 12. 12 was kind of like this number of completeness. To be 12 was to be made whole. To be less than 12 was to be insufficient, imperfect, incomplete. One writer, and I love this, talks about the, the use of the, the number 11 in this passage. It says this, that the number 11 limps. It limps. It's not perfect like the 12. The church that Jesus sends into the world is elevenish imperfect and fallible i like that word too elevenish uh, i'm trying to imagine a funding pitch in in one of the halls of those those great bank buildings that, that that sort of dart the toronto skyline where you walk in and say we've got this great idea we're looking for venture capital and here it is we're gonna start with this incomplete and flawed team trying to bring this product to market. Not only are they a flawed team, the team are still just learning. They're they're disciples. We don't have any leaders yet. We don't have any officers, apostles, experts, directors, chiefs, champions, I, I don't know, Jedi Knights, Power Rangers. We, we haven't got we haven't got any of that. They're just Learners, we want to start a world movement with apprentices and interns, a flawed team of learners. But we got big dreams. Can we have some money? Now, Can you imagine how a pitch like that would go? But that's exactly where Jesus starts. And to add a little bit more flavor, we get this comment. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped. But some doubted. Even then, even at the very end, when they had been with him, through all of his teaching and all of his ministry and all of his miracles, they'd they'd known about the cross, they'd seen him buried, they'd experienced the resurrected Christ in all of his glory, and still some doubted. Fallible, doubting, learning, sometimes failing disciples. Not very perfect. But that nobody-is-perfect dimension of the ministry of Jesus is really the first great pillar of the vision, and it's important, and here's why. It's only it's only possible, I think, to form a world changing community where people understand that this is a safe place to be to come and, and to be loved and healed and restored when they can, full disclosure, be honest about the places in their life where they are fallible and doubting and in need of help. The church is not a viewing gallery for saints. This is wide open for people who come in knowing that nobody is perfect describes their starting point. But here's the other dynamic. The invitation is always open to come, to come as you are, but not to stay as you are. And you'll see, and Sheldon mentioned, that in this series in this fall, we want to talk about the journey from that nobody is perfect into that high calling to become saint-like. And I know that's intimidating for people. But but shouldn't tomorrow be better than yesterday? Don't you want to be able to say two years from now that God has made me a better man? That God has moved in my life and I'm a better woman, a better parent, a better worker? That the invitation is open. Come as you are. But God doesn't leave you as you are. We know the story of doubting Thomas, right? You remember that one? Thomas doubted. After Jesus appeared, Thomas said, I don't believe it. A week later, Jesus shows up in person and shows, shows him the wounds on his wrists and in his side, and Thomas falls to his knees and said, I believe. Here's what you need to acknowledge about that story. Something happened in the week between when Jesus or when Thomas expressed his doubts and when Jesus shows up. What happened? That community rallied around Thomas. They didn't let him go. They didn't give him the boot because he didn't have the right doctrine. They didn't throw him out. They rallied around him. They supported him to the moment where his doubt turned to faith. If you have doubts, you belong here. You need to be here. This is the community that will nourish you and nurture you through your doubts. How about Peter, right? Mighty Peter. Nobody failed more miserably in discipleship than Peter. And you catch him at the very bottom. You know, dejected, alone, demoralized. The great failure. He's just... He's no longer the rock. He's just a pile of gravel at that point. And in between the moment where he experiences his very worst and when Jesus shows up and restores him, what's there for Peter? The community. The disciples. They're not going to let him go. When Peter, desperate to, to get on with life, doesn't see a road ahead with anything that Jesus had been about, says, listen, I... I guess I just go back to fishing. What am I going to do? I'm going to go fishing. And and what do the disciples do? They do what I think is the most beautiful thing disciples can do for another person who's at the bottom. They say, we'll go with you. We're not going to leave you alone. And together they went out in the boat. That's what community does. They don't coerce or force or pressure, but they're with each other. They're praying, and there's that sense of solidarity. They're, they're not going to give up on doing life together. Jesus continues with his grand vision. He says, as you're going out, make disciples. Not, not win disciples as if this were some kind of contest. Not convert people as if this was a sort of a I don't know, a, a forced gesture that happens on a park bench in two minutes in the sunlight. No, the, the words that Jesus uses there, and I think with great intent, are softer. They're, they're, kind of, they're kind of schoolish about them. This is done over time. As you're going, be making disciples, teaching them. This is an ongoing thing, teaching them to obey. These are slow words. These are nurturing, convincing words. These are not pressure words. As if to say, again, work carefully with people. Listen to them. Be gentle. Do life with them. Talk and inquire. Listen and learn. And then give and support and witness. We each need that, don't we? We need little discipleship communities. I don't care where you're at in your journey, whether you're brand new to this or you've been at it for five decades. We need this because there are going to be times in our lives when we wake up and we look at the mirror and we don't like what's looking back and we're overcome by doubt. We need people who can listen and be gentle and do life with us, with whom we can be honest and they can be honest in return. And that's what Jesus was trying to begin in the life of the church, a nobody-is-perfect community that requires courage and authenticity. And we don't just get to say that nobody is perfect. We actually have to live it out face-to-face, and that requires vulnerability and honesty. But there's something about it, about living that way that that has a richness of reward that you don't find Anywhere else. So if you're wondering what is it about having Jesus in relationship that makes other relationships pale in comparison, that's it. It's a level of depth and intimacy and knowing that when you are together, God is there with you. Here's the second pillar. These ones come faster. Everybody is welcome. Hey, that sounds right, doesn't it? Everybody is welcome. We put that on our sign. All three of these are on our sign, scrolling by. Every church has that on our sign. Everybody is welcome. (laughs) It doesn't mean people drive by and say, oh, that's me. I guess I'm going to come because I'm welcome. No. There is something about saying that that can feel really trite. But there's something about living that, that if we're honest, is really messy. Uh, Jesus was always messing with the people that get welcomed, the people that get invited to the party. Uh, Who gets to be part of the community? He talks theology with this marginalized Samaritan woman, persona non grata in the world. He heals and calls out this authority-challenging blind man. He stays at the house of an ostracized, traitorous tax collector. He goes deep into the lives of these people. He gets to know their stories, their histories. He invites them in. He doesn't leave them unchanged. Again, the door is open to all to come in, but not to stay were the way they were. And every time he did it, it created controversy. And everybody is welcome community is rarely ever neat. Uh, sometimes I want to say that when I see a church with that on their side. Hey, how messy is it inside? I mean, if everybody is welcome, how how messy does it get? There's only one point in the Bible that I'm aware of, actually only one point in the history of the Christian church, where everything was neat and tidy. And that's in the very first moments of the church, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 48. You know, the one where uh, everybody was together, they held everything in common, they had their meals together, they prayed together, and it sounded wonderful. And it's no wonder we read that and say, hey, can't we get back to that? And somehow we've not read what happens on the very next page, and for all the rest of the pages of the book of Acts, the history of the church, where it gets messy. Because as numbers go up, and the everybody is welcome thing gets lived out, it gets chaotic. Everybody is welcome means now that you get the beggar and the Ethiopian eunuchs, and Oi ve, you get the Gentiles. You Gentiles, you cause such a mess everybody is welcome, is messy. And people start getting arrested and they get threatened. And the book of Acts ends on a rather unsettling, yay, everybody is welcome. Look what's happened. You cannot say everybody is welcome and then start to shun people who you disagree with. Everybody is welcome means that you are going to have to deal with the chaos of people who are always in process. It's exactly where community, if it's not authentic, begins to break down. And any of you who tried to stick it out for more than a year or two in one of our small groups know that small groups go through this season where once you break through the veneer of pseudo-community and you try and go deeper, things get a little bit messy. And if you're not committed to that value, everybody is welcome, nobody is perfect, it will all fall apart. Most marriages... No, hey, God, thanks for calling. Um, (laughs) It's all right. Uh, Most marriages know this is the case. I love listening to the stories that happen in, you know, 40th wedding anniversaries, 50th wedding anniversaries, uh, because there's there's usually an acknowledgement that they went through those early years that were like pseudo marriage, you know? Everybody's welcome in this marriage. Nobody's perfect in this marriage. But but then when they realize how bumpy that is, um, there's usually a, a crisis, or sometimes there's multiple crises, and you have to realize that underneath a pseudo relationship, there is a deeper, real relationship that has to be fought for, and held to, and prayed through, and you invite God into those things. And there is a tenacity and a beauty to listen to the story of those relationships that have gone from the pseudo to the authentic over the journey of a lifetime. A community that cannot survive crisis, which insists on keeping up the illusion that everything is fine, will not survive. And we have seen through the crisis of the past two years lots of aspects of the community of the church, even in this church, they would not survive. And people dividing over things that never ought to have divided us. Why? Because we could not get beyond the pseudo to the real. Jesus begins his ministry with a desire for authentic community. He doesn't start with a program. It's not, let's, let's start a children's day camp. None of that stuff. Let's, uh, let's have a seniors program. No, he gets a group of people diverse, messy, and he goes through the hardship of day-to-day life with them, arguing over who gets to be number one, getting into a fight with the guards, losing one of their members, going through betrayal and loss. All of that leads them beneath the layers of the pseudo into the real. And along the way, he gives a few commands, not many, but a few commands to obey. What what would a rabbi be without a few commands, and so here you have this great Rabbi Jesus, someone whose commands are meant to drive people deeper in the direction of those three things. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome. Anything is possible. Follow my commands. They're going to help you with this. Jesus says. He goes on to say. Uh, that all the nations are in view here. I mean, when the vision is cast, let's, let's not make it too small. All the nations are in mind. Therefore, go to all the nations as you're going. Again, this is the, the part that is gentle and schoolish. As you're going, be making disciples, doing life with them, baptizing them. I'll say a word of that, about that at the end, but baptizing them, teaching them, obeying with them. Uh, That all the nations thing, it can sound like a conquering statement. It has been misused that way. It's not. If anything is being conquered, it's the lines, the boundaries that have carved up our world economically and socially and culturally with political exclusivism. All of that gets overcome. That's what gets conquered. Paul will go on to say, in Christ, in this community, we are not going to divide according to those boundaries. There will be neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. There will be a unity here that goes beyond those things. And that gets lived out in community. What is it that Jesus brings that can't be found elsewhere? Well, look around a little bit. Where else would this group of people be together in one room? It's so important, in fact, that the goal that we have for our church is that 80% of all of our people, and that's a lot of new people, those of you who are brand new back today and it's been a little while, have a look around. You will say, as I've heard you say, overheard, I don't know these people. You're right. You don't, but you will, and you're going to love them. <laughs> 80% of all of our people we want linked up into these little small group communities, authentic communities, Living this way. That's my goal. Sheldon's goal is loftier than that. Sheldon is our pastor of small group discipleship ministries. His goal is like 130%. Like, let's have more people in small groups than are part of our gatherings on the weekends. You know, there's no stopping that. They are not limited by the boundaries of these four walls. Let's just grow that. Let's experience what life looks like when these pillars become reality. And here's the third pillar, here's the last one. Anything is possible. Isn't that great? Anything, I mean, but do we believe that, that anything is possible? Let me give you some examples. During the height of COVID, when we realized that for many people, life changes had been arduous, resources were scarce, we started a ministry called Open Hands. Our desire was to provide initially, we just thought, let's get food and clothing immediately into the hands of people who needed it most partnered with the Scott Mission, reached out to them for help, Uh, started just with less than a dozen families. Uh, And it grew. And it grew. And it grew. And Thursday night we were here and we had 37 families, I think. We have drivers taking groceries, Zaid, packing them up, each of them visiting, six or eight families dropping them off, praying with them. We got families coming. If you come on a Thursday night, our parking lot is littered with tables for people to come and sit and stay and linger. Some of them come for uh, for food, some of them come for encouragement. A lot of them will call during the week, saying, "You know what? I don't actually need any food this week, but could you pray for me in this?" We have four families now attending the church regularly, seeking God in their life because of that ministry, and there's no signs of it slowing down. Don't tell me that that anything is impossible. God does that during the course of COVID. Even right now, this week, we have people fighting to overcome addiction and winning. We have people facing serious challenges around mental health and emerging victorious. Don't tell me that anything is not possible. We've had more baptisms in the past year than in years leading up to this. We've had more new members in the life of the church. We have more people watching us online And attending in person than we ever did before COVID. Don't tell me that anything isn't possible. God uses crisis, even trauma, to build community. And community becomes the place where real change happens. And so Jesus says, listen, don't be afraid. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now I'm going to send you out. All authority, but you're not alone. And I am with you. Amen. Hey. Yeah, thank you. And he's not even Spanish, but, <laughs> but he can roll his arms. Uh, let me say just one last word about the uh, anything is possible. Um, and it's around that word baptism. I mean, you can't read Jesus' great vision without seeing that word bas- baptism. It just kind of hangs out there. Um, That is a marker, as a signpost in the lives of people where we say, I've experienced all of those things, that I was welcomed by God and God's people, that even though I wasn't perfect, God didn't leave me that way, that I feel that that it's a new day in my life, that anything is possible through him and with him, and we love to celebrate that in baptism. And as as the weather turns cold, maybe some of you are new to the church, you wonder, well, how do you do that? Well, behind me, underneath uh, underneath the stage here is a is a hot tub it 's hot it 's hot you don 't have to worry about that, and we fill that thing as often as we need to and we 're going to do it again once or twice this fall and we would love to celebrate with you if you feel that God has been at work in your life and this is not a step that you have ever considered. Give us a call. call us tomorrow, call us today, send us an email. And let's begin that journey together in Christ. I invite you to be a part of Jesus' grand vision for the church, the vision that he gives to the church for the world, and the vision that he gives for you as you follow him. And in order to do that, hey, we can't do it without him. So let's pray Jesus' presence into the life of our church and into our lives together. We pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Uh, for a vision that's bold and big, uh, but God, not frightening because you promised that you are in it, that you are with us always. A vision that's not just for us as individuals, but for us as a community. God, you, you know the need that we have to be involved in, in life that's meaningful with each other, life that's purposeful. And how hard it has been these past years, but this morning we start again again. And we want to have the courage and the conviction to heed your invitation again, to trust you, to take steps forward, to do so in faith and and with anticipation, to do so in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.